I usually don't get nervous when I speak, but I'm at the last place I ever thought I would be. And the reason why I'm nervous is it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the fact this is the first time I've ever spoken with God himself down in the hall, in the chapel. <laughs> it's kind of unnerving knowing that Jesus is actually here. As I said, this is the last place I thought I would ever be. And when I was asked to give this talk, I don't even know where to begin. It's like trying to explain how did you get to China, but only with three turns. There's just that much to say about my conversion to Catholicism. So I'm going to try to give you the highlights the best that I can, and most important things. One of the most important things is that Jesus is God. Jesus Christ really is God. I'll give you some of my background and kind of give you, see why this is like the last place I'd be. I am from Iowa. I grew up in a small town, um, Springwell, Iowa, just out of the east of here. It's on the way to the prison. <laughs> we tell people, so if you know where Springwell is, <laughs> I went to a, I grew up in a church-going family, from a very loving family of loving parents, um, great parents. Um, church was a part of our life, we went to a Methodist church, and at, at roughly 15, 16, I made a profession of faith that their youth group um, stayed active in church, enjoyed going to church for much, much of high school. But then, near the end of high school, the denomination we're in went very wrong-headed. And my family left that church. My talk tonight is, where was, how did that journey end? Because I had never known anything but our hometown church. So now I've got to start thinking about, where else would we go? So I really didn't go anywhere until college. And of course, when we go to college, I went to Iowa State to play baseball. And what I knew about Catholics at that time was they're odd. <laughs> <laughs> For no apparent reason, fish is off limits on Fridays. No idea why. The Catholics that I knew, they didn't have suckers during Lent. So apparently that was a big deal. For 40 days, I had to have a sucker. <laughs> and just lots of stuff, just lots of icons, and they're just moving up and down, crossing. I just, it's like they were lost. That's what I knew about Catholics. So I wasn't necessarily anti-Catholic. It was more like non-Catholic. It wasn't even on the radar screen because I'm not into weird. <laughs> so I was thinking, See, Iowa State um, played baseball. Just that was my life was baseball. And one of my dad's good friends gave me a book written by Oral Hershiser, Spacious Testimony How I Became a Christian. Um, and reading him and Dave Trebecki, reading their stories, you could see how Christ made a real difference in their life. And during that time, during my third year of college, my mom came down with cancer. Of course, that's a wake-up call. 
my mom would be sitting there reading her Bible, and I just thought, this is crazy, we should be reading her Bible. So I started thinking about life and meaning, you know, beyond just the dining and for some reason, I wrote down, my goals for the semester was to know God better. And I have no idea why that was there. It's like someone had my hand. Maybe they did, right? And so it was during that third year, after reading those books, and hearing Dave Rebecca give his testimony in Cedar Rapids Kennedy uh, High School, that I finally found the life I was living was a life of sin. The drinking, the partying, girls, at that time, Betty Bell, now changed my mind, but at that time, Betty Bell was satanic. Realized I was living in a life of sin, and that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. So, it was on July, June 28, 1992, in the basement of my house, I nailed down and converted to Christianity with my will. Became a Christian. Of course, at this point, I had no idea where to go, what to do. So I spent that summer talking to the local priest, who's a, a local uh, pastor, sorry. I'm Catholic now, so it's easier to say priest. <laughs> At that time, the pastor talking to him, having conversations with him, but basically just reading my Bible and, and uh, working for dad. Then I went back to college, and one of the, this is a highlight. My best friend in the world, we had been, his name's Dave Graber, and he's actually entering the church at Easter. And I didn't even talk to him about it. That's another thing I don't understand. But uh, we had never been to fight. We were best friends for over 20 years. Had a crossword. And he was like neighbor fraternity guys and partiers. And he's had a real moral dilemma. And so we're at this bar in Ames. And there's like the three amigos. There's the three partiers. Well, I'm a converted Christian now. Dave's through the middle, and then there's Satan. His name is Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I don't know what I said. Apparently Jesus was in there. There was no Thomas yet. No Thomas Thomas. But Jesus, I was talking about Jesus, how he needs to give his life to God. And, and Mike saying, don't listen to that guy. I'm Catholic. You don't need that. It's true. Mike was not Catholic. So Dave was just cut to the heart. Made a long story short, he becomes a Christian at college. And so here we are, not doing anything. Well, his dad knew uh, some leaders of uh, Campus Crusade in Iowa State. And so we got involved with Iowa State. So that's the real, that's the first time that we were involved in a kind of organization whose sole purpose was to help you cultivate a personal relationship with God. And during that time, we moved to a Baptist group called the Salt Company, which to this day I'm very thankful for. Because they focused a uh, relationship on Jesus, uh, focused on your conversion, focused on evangelism, and they're focusing grounding your faith. So I cannot be more thankful for that Baptist group in AIDS. But what they taught me was to take my faith seriously, take it very seriously. Pardon me, that's how I'm sorry. Catholicism at this point, I'm growing more into that at this point. <coughs> Because many in Salt Company, which is a student group of former Catholics, all of them were upset or disenchanted with their Catholic upbringing. And the most common statement from them was, I didn't know anything about personal relationship with God until I became a Christian. I didn't hear about that in the Catholic Church. 
know, some people are thinking, oh, but that was an impression. <coughs> so, I had no time for Catholics. No time for Catholicism. Thought Catholics, you take your brain out and you enter Mass. Then this, next to conversion, the greatest thing in my life happened next to conversion of my kids was meeting Holly, Holly Cook. <coughs> Sorry. Um, she was a former Catholic. And I, when I saw her, I said, that has got to be a Christian. That was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And she's going to be my wife whether she likes it or not. <laughs> Dude, I was going to live across the street, the place where my 
Dad's friend, Mom, that's lost pants. There's no way I'm getting in. Well, I got into two schools um, that were competing with each other. I, think I could go to Colorado or I could go to St. Louis. Colorado was a little more sexier school. But when I called that school, they talked about how teachers, you might have one class professor. When I called St. Louis, Dr. Stump teaches every semester. And I could have her every semester. And say, yes, that's it. So I had to go to St. Louis. So we hauled up two kids. Whenever we move, the kid's coming. Number four is coming. I don't know where we're moving to.
No way. It's not going to become cat. So after my third year, money was running tight. And at the time, I'll say this now, I think at that time we left early because I was running. I wanted to get out of there. So we did. We went back to the Protestant seminary where I got my master's degree and I began teaching. That has slowed me down a lot. Because now I was able to start thinking about things. And, and just kind of maybe speed this up a little bit. Spent several years teaching philosophy and asking questions. As a matter of fact, I started being assigned theology classes. Now, part of the job at seminary was to train young people to defend the evangelical faith. And I found myself unable to do it. I couldn't do it. I could get to God's existence, objective morality, even Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but when it came to doctrine, when it came to formulating doctrine, I didn't know how to do that. So we looked around a lot for churches. So here I am at the school having intellectual doubts. And I'll get, I'll get more into that in a second. So I'm having these intellectual doubts. But Catholicism is not on the radar. And my wife, who's the stealth here, she's, she's going back to church. One of the things my wife gave me was her parents. Wonderful people. I love them to death. And they were in town, and so we went to Mass to honor them. And I actually liked it. But here's the thing that I found fascinating about Mass. Let me give you a, a movie example before I talk about Mass. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Have you ever seen The uh, Return of the King? Well, in The Return of the King, Gondor is without a king. Gondor is the city of kings. You walk in, so you've got Gandalf, and he's walking down all these statues of kings. It's a beautiful place. And in the back is this huge throne where the king sits. And it's empty. The steward of Gondor is sitting to the side. Because he doesn't have the right to sit where the throne is. And we're thinking, front of the church is like that. The priest was on the side. Because who's in the middle? The king is in the middle. And I, and I thought, oh my goodness. The Catholics understand a lot more than I thought, just in the way they set up mass. Even when the priest gives the homily, he's still aware. On the side, all of a sudden, the, the genuflecting, why do they come in? Why do you bow? Because who's up front? The king is up front. Contrast that with what I had grown up with. In a Protestant world, who's in the center? Man. Man is in the center. The priest, the pastor is in the center. Wow. And the Catholics ignored me. Which was wonderful. <laughs> 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 because 
like, you're the king. <laughs> Somebody has said, when you're, up to, when you're the new person in the evangelical church, this is the ones we have been, the ones we visited, you know, you're the main attraction. When I went to Mass, people walked right by me. <laughs> Gotta get in there. What are they doing? They're praying. And no one's talking. This is so odd. I felt bad reading my coffee cup in. <laughs> Debating it. 
Baptism as of how you enter into the church. The real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. That belief in a visible church. And so on. That is, the ancient church just smells Catholic. It just smells Catholic. And then, as I started reading the Reformers, they're Catholic. Luther believed in the devotions to Mary. Calvin did not believe that you could just interpret the Bible any way you wanted. The, the faith that I have been given basically is 200 years old. Now, again, I had a lot of cognitive dissonance because I was not going to convert. It's not going to do it. So we moved back here to Iowa uh, to be closer to family. And I was still teaching there at the SES on a part-time basis. And when I was down there for the, this is the summer of last year, I was still justifying this in my mind. The people who were saying that they'd just been to Rome, and they asked me about, what's this whole Mary thing about? What's this Mary devotion? And actually I started talking, I said, well actually Mary devotion is the historical norm. Not having any sort of devotion to Mary, not worshiping Mary, but having a personal devotion to her, is basically standard practice throughout most of the Christian world historically. And as I was explaining it to him, for the first time I find myself wanting to do this. And I panicked. Flat out panicked. Because I feel like I'm losing myself. I'm losing my soul. Because I'm for the first time I'm thinking about becoming Catholic. Which means I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> I'm on the L train to hell. <laughs> Called my wife, couldn't get a hold of her. And then I sat down and read John 6. Because John 6 was bothering me this whole time. So I'm going to read it. And then comment what's going through my mind as I'm reading this. The Jews murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus, and Jesus answered them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That's before he ever talks about anything else. The father draws you. And I knew that was happening. I said, just okay, stop drawing. <laughs> Do something else. So no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, that means listen, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And this is all setting up, right? When he talks about eating his flesh. This is my Lord. Believing in eternal life, yeah, I'm on board. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. Of course, who was that? He just, right? 
that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Of course, I'm at this point I'm thinking, how? What is this? Of course, the Jews asked the same thing. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I'm like, exactly! <laughs> Jesus is not Protestant. Because he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, and of course in the Greek, this is now changing. He's talking about gnarly. Mmm. Very, very vivid imagery. Eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. He who eats my the second time, eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, I think he's trying to get something across. <laughs> I am becoming. 
didn't know all about that. And I was trying to read and read about Mary, and God sort of stealed her, saying, you're going to have to drop it. There's an understanding that I will give you, but you've got to commit. Because that's not the problem. So I came back home. I called Father Meathouse immediately. I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to join the church. I'm going to join the church. Of course, Father Meathouse says, here's Father Meathouse, excitement. <laughs> Taught us to believe that he is flesh and drink his blood. And the church is it. 
again, there's so much I'm leaving out. There's so much I'm leaving out. But the Catholic Church simply has no rival. It doesn't have a rival. There isn't even a, somebody who's close second. They have the greatest thinkers. They've got the greatest music. They've got great culture. They've got beauty. They've got unbelievable devotion. There's an interesting uh, comment that uh, Yaroslav Pelican said. He's a Lutheran who became Eastern Orthodox. He said, for all of the Protestants complaining against, against the Catholic Church, they simply have nothing that compares with St. Thomas's Summa. And I thought, you know what? What the Summa is in theology, the divine office is in devotion. What Mary is in motherhood. Whatever that, when you've got worship, beliefs, and the Catholics do it right, there's nothing that competes. That's why I'm Catholic.